we are back for another great episode of How to Acquire Podcasts. And I am loving the uh, different uh, avenues that we've been able to take on this particular podcast. Uh, one of my favorite avenues uh, to go down is business acquisitions and the multifaceted approach that uh, can be taken. And joining me on today's episode is uh, Pedro Moore. Welcome to How to Acquire Podcast. How are you doing today? Great. I'm doing wonderful, DJ. And thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. And then let's sure. get into today's topic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I'm a venture capitalist. I've been investing in companies uh, since early 2010. Um, I also uh, an advisor to several different investors, and one of those investors is Damon John of Shark Tank. Um, I help run. There is a small seed fund here in the state of Delaware uh, where we do invest in, you know, uh, underrepresented founders that are headquartered here in the, in the state of Delaware. And uh, I have started a couple of businesses, brought the first co-working space to the state of Delaware, and I even have a small bubble stacker company um, as as well. And I am working on a new venture, a startup company actually, which allows fractional investing and uh, franchises. And it's, that company is called uh, Summit Fuel. And um, and that's pretty much my resume. I, I, you know, I'm a deal guy. You know, so I, I actually before COVID hit, we, me and my one good friend, we we were in the middle of buying uh, a company, and uh, it went south because of COVID. And so we had to kind of regroup and kind of figure out a new. Uh, updated investment thesis. Try to, you know, we're still we're still sourced and trying to find new opportunities. Thank you for that wonderful intro. I know before we start this episode, you and I were having a really great conversation on the VC space, mm -hmm. and so I want to give people just a little glimpse into what we were talking about, and then I also want to learn about your journey uh, sure. and how how you got to where you are now and what you're seeing in the current landscape. But what we were just talking about before the podcast began was I came across this video with a very successful VC. And he was saying that the VC game it can be considered rigged. There's so much money being pumped into uh, a, com or a company. They'll invest into a company and they'll say, okay, in order to get it to where it needs to be, uh, we're just going to put the advertising dollars in Facebook, um, Instagram, Amazon, and some of the, the big uh, ad generating social media sites. And he was saying that another investor will come in for the next round and do the same thing. And then another investor will come and it will just go all the way until they get to IPO stage. Mm -hmm. And you have this inflated um, uh, appreciation of a company. And um, he's saying that he's taking this is, is a step away. And when I remember who the, the VC is, I'll make sure I add it to the notes as well. Um, but he was saying that a lot of us in the VC space and in the investment space, we're really rigging the game. We're really uh, juking the stats and uh, causing the numbers to be something that they really uh, shouldn't be. And then you were about to respond to me. And I said, hold up, we got to get this on a podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm setting it up. And I just want us to continue the conversation we were having. Sure. And then I also want to get into your journey as well. Sure, sure. And and just to make sure I understand the question too. Well, um, uh, it was around like the advertising spend. Is, is that what you're saying that he was? Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. I would say that that definitely does make sense because, you know, if you think about it, uh, when you have a startup company and so this actually just, it just happens a lot of times I have a conversation with people is um, the differentiator of your company, right? You know, 
and 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 there's a there has been a lot of people feeding in the, in the beginning. I think it's slightly changing, but it has been a lot of people feeding like yeah, just do some you know targeted Facebook ads and and, and all this and that and and and, and retargeting et cetera et cetera. And those may work. There's nothing against that. However, you know for in, for any business, whether it's a startup, a tech startup, or just a small business, your cost to acquire customers is very 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 important. And um, also from a, a defensibility standpoint for startups, for growth and competition, you, you want to have a better value proposition or some kind of differentiator other than the fact that you, in order to get a customer, you have to do a Facebook ad. And so the reason why that's important to know, because if, if the only path for you as a startup to acquire a new customer is a Facebook ad, then what stops, you know, company B from taking your customer by doing a similar ad. You know what I mean? Right. So, so customer, um, uh, I mentioned what funny if he was in a crowdfunding space, you know, give you a perfect example. Um, I think it's really T shares. Maybe they, they went under. Um, and, and as you, if you, if you're into crowdfunding in general, whether it's real estate startups or whatever the case may be, um, you're going to get a lot of, a lot of different ads and, and, and there's a lot of what's happening is it's starting, especially with real estate, it's starting to get a little flooded with big tier private equity funds doing more micro because everybody wants to raise capital. But the issue is which, which I, my personal opinion is that that well is going to run dry because you can only spend but so many amount of money per month on ads and eventually the, the cost is going to outweigh the benefit. And right. so for any startup, um, you know, you have to really think about how do you drive that customer acquisition cost low as much as possible. So when you start, to, when you start off, you know, yes, you do want to eventually do ads, but you really want to figure out, another, especially the viral component too. That's another thing, right? You, you want it to be your value proposition, value proposition be strong enough. The fact that, you know, DJ, you see the product you buy, but you love it so much, you send it to someone else. You, and that right there, it's hard to identify for a lot of people. Um, but if you can somehow manufacture that, it will really help. This, and this is more so for consumer B2B type of, type of situations. Um, but those pieces are very, very important because um, if your customer cost is extremely high, it's only going to be a matter of time. And if you raise venture, you're just going to be burned through that cash and eventually yeah. the doors will, will shut. So what you're saying is that how it's, how it's rigged, that can make sense because, you know, people tell you to do Facebook ads. People tell you to do all these retargeting ads. Oh, and another thing too, unless I learned from another entrepreneur some years ago, it's really important that I almost feel like you got, you have to, uh, Paul Graham always talks about do things that don't scale. scale. And you really want to spend time with that potential customer. So that way you really know who that is. Because the worst thing you can do is spend ad dollars on people who are not your customer. And right. so sometimes it's good to, to spend more of that manual effort in the very, very beginning. So that way you know at least who your customer is. Even, even, even if you don't know exactly who the customer is, you know who it is not. Right? And you'd be surprised how a lot of people, it's something small, but a lot of people don't really know who their ideal target market is. And then you're, you're, you're spending ads on this segment, ads on this segment, ads on this segment, and you're burning through cash. And the only person that's happy is Instagram or Facebook. Exactly. Rather, you know, so, exactly. so you're, you're spot on. So that, that, that comment, it definitely makes sense. I, I didn't come across that. 
I didn't, I didn't see that article, but um, it definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. I'll, I'll uh, see if I can uh, get the link and I'm gonna send it to you, and also I'll put okay. it in the show notes because uh, it was just it opened my eyes and I started realizing we got we may want to approach some things a little differently because there's some VCs that are pulling out because they and this is mainly in Silicon Valley that yeah, they're talking yeah. about this. And they're just like, you know what? I don't like the direction this is going. If I'm going to do this, I want to really make an impact, not just Mm -hmm. make the money, but Mm -hmm. actually have a business that is ultimately making some type of overall change to the marketplace or to society. Um, But I say that, uh, and you you mentioned uh, what you're working on and, uh, you know, a little bit about your, your past as well. Um, tell me more about funding fuel. You, you mentioned that as your as a new, newer venture that you're working on. Could you tell us sure. a little bit about uh, the company and and just a little yeah. bit about the premise? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I'm I'm a big believer in um, entrepreneurship and financial independence as a way to help the common man, um, as well as the affluent, but really the common man to help help them build wealth. That's just always been my personal passion. And so working at the uh, VC firm, just doing various deals and uh, two things came up. Two, it's, it, it, this idea kind of stems from two pieces. One, growing up, I always would love to have own, I think most people own a McDonald's or some kind of other franchise or whatever. Cause I think it just sounds great to say that. Oh yeah, I own that. The reality right. is I didn't want to do no work, right? I didn't want right. to burgers. I didn't want to have to uh, uh, do any of the work. I just wanted to tell my friends, hey, I own a piece of that, right? And and doing adventure, you realize that there are people like that out the world, but but you have to be a credit investor, you have to be an affluent person where you can be that, you know, invest passively into various deals. You know, you're not allowed if you're not if you're not that. And and, and I'm personally not a credit investor. And so um, and so then one day, um, you know, our, our primary thesis is is um, you know, for for the venture funds is B two B software solutions. But one day I think we got a deal that wasn't too far. Um, I forgot how she connected with me, but it was a franchisor, not even a franchisee, it was a franchisor. She was raising some money. And at the time, too, there was a local business owner um, who, you know, I have a good working relationship too. And he always talked about like, um, like I would love to be able to invest in like a franchise. And because he's older, he's looking for retirement. So his, his investment strategy more na- is now more cash flow. He has invested in other startups in the past, but it's more cash flow investments. And as you know, that's in a startup company. It's not a cash flow investment. That's more of like invest, hold, and hopefully hope for a big payday. And right. so, um, so when we came across this deal, we we did talk to her and have some conversation. We didn't move forward with anything like that, um, but it intrigued me. Like, okay, well, what if if she's raising capital? You know, there there may be more. So what I found out is that there is, especially on the franchisor as well as the franchisee side is that um, I'm speaking with emerging franchisors. Emerging franchisors are basically, you know, think about investing in McDonald's back in the day when it was coming up. And so basically it's where you have under under 100 units franchise, I mean, at least under 100 franchisees. And so, but I found out that franchisors, their business model behaves like a startup, like a tech startup in a sense that they are creating a new uh, 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 business model, if you will. However, they do not have a capital market or ecosystem similar to tech startups. So, you know, if you, if you create a tech startup today, you will have a plethora of places where you can find capital, 
pitch competitions and even structures, uh, 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 you know, angel investors, you know, convertible notes, crowdfunding, the list goes on. However, for these emerging franchisors, which they have the pain point of raising capital, they only have debt, bank debt as their only solution. Um, their second solution, if they're lucky enough to come across a well-off angel investor, and most of them are. So a lot of them have to bootstrap or, or, or grow organically and it takes even longer, um, but, it's, it's, but they, they struggle. They struggle because there's no really capital uh, 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 ecosystem for them. And so even for franchisees, you know, there's certain fits, like there's another kind of profile um, that, and I'm still learning this too, because I didn't come from franchising. So, this, so that's why it took a little long for me because I had a it, franchising is similar to how VC was back in the day where it was more of a, a, a clubby club, clubbish type of place. So it took a while for me to kind of uh, get in there. But anyway, um, there's gaps in the market. So there's another lead that we got where he has a couple of franchises already, maybe like three or four. The issue is he wants to he wants to scale up right because that's how you do it in franchise you, you get multiple units so you can scale um the issue what is is that the banks won't lend him money because the first couple has already a good amount of debt in it right and it may still be fairly and so it's, it's that chicken and egg situation where it's like okay you can you almost have to you almost force to stand still until you can pay down that debt that debt service so that way the bank feel more comfortable lending you money um, so you're in that chicken and the egg. So we're, we're like, okay, we can help folks like that possibly. And so anyway, my, my, so so that's the franchising side from that perspective. But on the investor side, I think of just a common person going back to my point of, of, of um, like I was saying earlier, that everybody would love to be able to, to own a franchise. It's, but, it, but if you Google how much the McDonald's costs or Google anything, you're like, oh, geez, that costs a lot of money. So my thought was, especially for people that look like me, not for anybody, but I have a motivation for people that look, look, look like me, it's a way to kind of build wealth, create another income stream for yourself because you can invest in a deal. And it, can, it doesn't always have to be equity can be, that's the thing we want to have flexible funding options that works with the franchise. So, so the investor can invest in a different type of investment in, instrument. So sometimes it might, be, it might be a straight debt and that might be fine. But for the investor, that means they're getting monthly payments, you know, on a regular basis, or it might be a revenue share note, or it might be equity, but the point is there's cash flow coming back in in a reasonable amount of time versus have to wait 10 years for, you know, try your luck and see if there's, there's exit opportunity. But in that case, you can now say, oh yeah, I invested in that Planet Fitness. I invested in that, you know, Five Guys, or I invested in that franchisor. So it's trying to bring those two worlds together uh, make a little history by doing it and, and basically help people raise capital more, more, more at scale. You know, matter of fact, here's another way to say it. Trying to make the franchising world more of an investable asset class. Because if you think about it, it's not considered that. If you Google how to invest in a franchise, you're going to get a whole bunch of information on how to buy a franchise as a franchisee. Right. You know, it's, it's not, it, it, you know, startups, and real estate, that's in a real investable asset class. There's analysis around that. There's information, there's research, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, you don't really get that. There's not a lot, I mean, there's information if you dig, 
but it's not information that's not readily available to to kind of put on an investor's hat to kind of analyze the deal, you know. And and I we want to kind of make a little history by kind of changing that a little bit and, and making it more of a investable asset class. And so you know, which includes deals as well as education information to help someone, you know, understand demographics and re, you know all that all that stuff that comes in with analyzing a deal. I want so to repeat that. But that definitely is. I want to repeat back what I'm hearing because I want to make sure I'm hearing this right. Mm -hmm. So typically with franchises, uh, you would have to buy an entire franchise and be an owner of a franchise. You have someone like uh, Magic Johnson. I can't remember which one it is. I think he owned Burger Kings. You've got someone like Rick Ross owns Wingstops. Mm -hmm. um, and I forget there's some there's other ones other too. There's a LeBron. LeBron, he invested in Blaze Pizza, which is a Blaze franchisor. Pizza. You know, so yeah, right. he was a past investor so, in that. Yes. So they're all buying these physical locations. And then when you talk to them in these interviews, they'll say, yeah, you know, I got 10 of those or I got 15 of those or 20 of those. But you're saying I'm, I'm going to come at this with a different angle to where the investor can step in and actually invest in individual franchises. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, the goal is so as this is this is a this is a great case scenario. Lord willing, this happens one day. But let's just say Rick Ross as a hypothetical. Let's just say Rick Ross wants to open up another Wingstop um, or buy an existing Wingstop somewhere. He could come onto the platform, host that one thing, and allow the, the community to co-invest with him into that Wingstop. You know, wherever that. Might, let's just say it's in Texas somewhere. And so now you can say, like, I'm a co-investor for the average man, too, not just accredited. Right. For the average, you know, you, you can say, oh, yeah, I co-invested in that deal with Rick Ross. Um, well, you know, and that's, that's the, the essence of it. And, too, I, I will make a dis distinction because um, I would had to learn this with franchising. I mean, there's just two people, franchisor and a franchisee. So, like... Okay. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rick Ross is a franchisee. When I mentioned LeBron, even though LeBron is a franchisee too, because he did buy a couple Blaze pizzas himself, he he is also an investor, uh, an angel investor, and a the franchisor, the system. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And so, so that the reason why the reason I want to make that distinction because we want to bring both of those opportunities. To the platform where we say that you can um you can invest in franchisor deals which are may behave more like a tech startup in a, in a, in a way uh, and when i say that just because there's no proven business model They're, they are discovering a brand new business model that's the essence of startups uh however a franchisee there is a proven system there already a formula where they're just following so we want to bring, provide both of those opportunities. And there's pros and cons, right? Because the franchisor, the con that even though, you know, has the opportunity like a startup, it might be a little more riskier, right? Um, but then if there's a franchisee, you know, there was some formula that they're just following, that may be less risky in theory because there's already established formula. You know, if someone's trying to invest in a Wingstop, Wingstop's already publicly traded, there's a, there's a formula to to follow that um but but the answer to your question yes that is exactly it you know so you'll be able to co-invest in a in a franchise deal similar to what lebron did to blaze pizza um or if rick ross is opening up a new wing stop 
and he wants to get the community involved, now he can, and it's almost like group, really group economics. He can, he can um, uh, allow people to co-invest and get a little piece of that, that store uh, along with him. So yes. I'm really excited. And later in this episode, I wanna go through some of the steps that people can take uh, to go down this path. Um, I think this is a really great path. But first, I want people to understand who they could be potentially working with when they mm-hmm. are collaborating with you. Uh, yes. So you talked about uh, working with Damon John, uh, and we actually, in one of the book clubs I, I did, I uh, went over one of his books uh, called, what's um, the name of that book? Uh, the power of your brand, I believe. Power, it was. power of one, or something like that. Uh, no, it was the other one. It was, it was, uh, it was about your brand. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was. It's a great book. I, I, I'm sorry that my, the my memory escapes me right now. But okay. uh, talk about uh, that experience and how that all came about. Yeah, uh, it's funny too. I had I, I just shared this experience with someone else the other day. Here it is. The, oh, the yeah, brand, the brand within. within. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was his first book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, long story short, and this is actually how I got into World Adventure too. Um, so, when I was a I, when I was a senior, junior, or senior at, at University of Delaware, I made a little history then, where I created the first student club um, called um, the Entrepreneurship Club. But so I found the Entrepreneurship Club there at, at the University of Delaware, and so one of my friends. Uh, I think was interning was at a VC firm at the time, and she connected me with two people. Um, I forget, there's another guy. Actually, I, I think I, I connected him some other way. I can't remember, but there's two people that I got connected with at this at this uh, a student club, and and so one was a Jewish gentleman. Um, he 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 ran the VC fund. Another one was just an entrepreneur, and um, he was he was he was he was black, and he I don't know if. You remember the they call them the, the Trail Spreewell rims. This is probably like early two thousand. I remember. So okay, okay. So so you you remember spinning rims. So what mm-hmm. he did, he created a patent around that. Not that that one's for cars, but he had it for motorcycles. Okay. Um, so he created. He basically created those rims for for a motorcycle. And um, so long story short. In this student club, I had both of those people come to, to, to speak, right? And I built a relationship. You know, they seen a young guy in college. And now the, the VC gentleman, he also put on conferences um, to, because, to, you know, that's how people raise money back in the day before Clubhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, student, you know, what you do as a student, the, the, the benefit of a student person uh, in the workplace is that you have free labor. And a student gets to learn and, and build relationships. So I leveraged. I knew that. I was like, you know, let me just go down there and network or help volunteer myself. You know, I ain't got nothing else to do. Um, and so I'll just go to his events. He'll have me do whatever he wants. And uh, those around that time, too, uh, there was one event that I, I helped at. It was at the DuPont Hotel up in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, Damon John, this is pre-Shark Tank. Damon John was a guest speaker there. And at the time, no one really... Everybody knows Damon John today, but back then no one really knew him, especially other counterparts, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, we know him as a culture because we grew up with his with his clothing, with his brand, Fubu. So we know him uh, already, but that the other community did not, right? Um, 
And so he was just, you know, sharing his entrepreneurial story, et cetera, et cetera. And, but the way how it all connected was the joint gentleman, uh, his name was Mark with the rim. He went, he reached out to, to, to Damien a long time ago, built a relationship with him because he was trying to get, he was trying to find people that interested in his wheel. And so Mark and the Jewish man, his name was David, um, somehow got connected. And, um, and that's how Damien ended up speaking at uh, David's uh, conferences. And so uh, kind of fast forwarding now and after, after graduation, I ended up building a relationship with both of those parties. And so Mark was the one who created a relationship initially with Damon. Um, and, then, and then David, because uh, Mark again was still trying to raise money and somehow got connected to David. And so David uh, uh, built a relationship with Damon as well through that time and that's how I got to speaking. So kind of fast forwarding, um, you know, I, 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 there was an opening at his firm, VC firm, and I think which helped because at the time, you know, granted the barrier has has been uh, reduced in terms of how to how to you know be in the VC. Uh, when I say that, meaning that before the perception was you had to have an Ivy League education, you had to have an MBA, and those pieces are probably still needed. But it was this culture of like, oh, you're nobody unless you come from you know Yale with the MBA, and that's how you can be a VC. So. In my situation, I was unique because I didn't have any of that. I, I just had an undergraduate degree. I had an undergraduate degree in marketing. You know, I took probably a, a couple finance classes. And, um, but I think because of my prior relationship and the guy I already know, this, this is right time I already started a couple of businesses too, like co-working space. So I feel like he just, you know, he said, you know what? He, the, uh, David just basically said like, I like him. Like, I could probably mold him, you know? And that's basically what happened. He molded me, he taught me the game of venture. Because I knew nothing about venture. I didn't know what it was. I, I liked investing because I invested in stock. You know, I right. did well in stock. But I had, but I always had this inkling, this thing. I was like, you know, I wonder how you can invest in companies before they're $100 a share, before they were securities on, on, a, on, 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 a, on a stock market. And I didn't know, I didn't know what the solution was. And then time passed, I found out it was venture. Basically, that's what it was. And so anyway, so then out of nowhere, in between that time, Damon got the call that he was gonna, you know, to be on the show. And so David, I gotta give credit to David. He he was a good he was a good uh, negotiator, uh, and that's where I learned some of my skills from. Um, he basically drafted an agreement with Damon since we already had experience of doing due diligence and vetting deals or whatever. We're like, you know, Damon, like, hey, why don't you partner with us? And so that's basically how it started. So David kind of led that project and and and. Uh, and uh, did that and then he brought me on a little bit later on and like we would just work on these deals a lot and then eventually he was doing other stuff and i ended up doing a lot of the deals and so now there's two unfortunate events um that that david as well as mark who originally had the contact with damon john they both passed away and so um so as a result of that all these other little things in the firm to some issues with the firm i ended up taking on the contract myself uh, for Damon. And granted, it was easy because I already had a pre-existing relationship with them all. You know, I was already doing all the work anyway. So it was just, it was just a matter of just changing who's the check being sent to. That was what it is, you right. know, but, but that was the, that was the flow of all the events that how it got to me helping Damon out. So let's kind of go down that road. And that's an awesome, awesome story. Um, let's kind of go down that road when you're walking into the VC space, how big of an adjustment was it um, to to be in the VC world? 
and look at everything from this investment standpoint and understanding, you know, what's going to be something that's going to succeed, what's going to be something that I don't think is, is going to take off. What did you learn yeah. during that time? What, what are you learning uh, in the VC space uh, when it comes yeah. to picking the right, uh, the right wins? Well, that's a great question. And, and one, always learning, because another, another thing that I did learn is investors get it wrong. Investors yeah. miss deals all the time. And so, but, but ways to kind of help. One, um, man, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of some good examples. But um, one, you do have to, and this is stuff I, this is stuff I didn't learn in college. I'm kind of learning on the job. I'm kind of learning watching them do it. Um, is, you know, small things like behavior, um, you know, asking behavior of the, of the other person. Um, being able to kind of see through them a little bit based on a little, little, little clues that they may drop. Um, at, know how to, know how to ask questions, right questions to dig deep. And that's the reason why I say that because that's really, really important. Give you an example. Like we had this one company um, and it seems like an obvious question, but it's a question that, that needed to be asked because this one gentleman come, came, came to raise, was, was coming to raise some money. This gentleman was a well-off guy. I mean, when I say well-off, like definitely over worth over $100 million. And the company that he was building uh, was, a, was a software and, and, and for the investment space, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a home run hitter, if that makes sense. It was definitely a business that could, could definitely be solid, um, but it wasn't, it, the market wasn't really huge with it. Excuse me. And so... He did build it. He did self-fund it. And one of the tough questions, I learned this from the mentor, David, he basically had to ask, just blunt. And the thing is, he already had a good um, relationship with, because it is, because, you know, it's that song and dance, like, you come to you, and I going back to good old boys uh, club, it is, it, is that, it is that community. And, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, you got you don't want to invest in something just because you have a good relationship with the person. You want to make sure it's a sound deal as well. So this person, this, this deal, he was self-funding it and he was raising some more. So we had to ask the question like, you know, hey, you, 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 your last company, you sold for a, a boatload of money. And um, why, why are you asking us for money? And his, his reply was, we never did the deal too, by the way. His reply was like, my wife basically doesn't want me to keep spending money on this company. And, and you know, which is a legitimate reason, like you get it. And I think our issue was um, not that we don't have confidence in him to build a major company, but it was like, okay, it's not like you need a lot of money. You know, I get the, I, I get the wife saying that, but at the same time, the other issue is like the company, if we were to remove him and put an average person here, we probably wouldn't need to spend any time on the deal. If that makes sense. And so it, it, it so it's really having that tough conversation sometimes with people to kind of dig deeper, like why why aren't you succeeding? Why aren't you raising money? Why aren't you why hasn't this happened yet? And try to figure out what the what the answer is. And then of course, especially if, if you have a good relationship with that person, how to how to say no um, with that person. So and then and then also too uh, uh, due diligence, um, spend a lot of time on due diligence. It's it's really it's it's really listening to everything. 
And I say that, I know that's a vague statement, but, but it's so important because it helps you figure out more additional questions. And so like even the example I just gave, you know, uh, like so we never move forward, but just generally speaking, um, when you're talking to potential customers, you know, what are they saying? When you talk to other colleagues, what are they saying? Um, a lot of it's a learning curve, even as a VC. I'll give you one good example, another good example, like when we invested in, and again, this is more of a CEO issue than our issue, but at the same time, we're, we're part of that ecosystem of trying to help um, because because they brought him to us as a, as a hire and we didn't really, um, what, what am I trying to say? Like, we didn't we didn't we didn't help steer away, and and give you an example. Um, the CEO was hiring a salesperson, and the salesperson had a good uh, resume, right? Um, but then the lesson learned again. This is something I learned too. You know, I didn't I didn't I didn't think that was a big issue. So sometimes when you bring, if you're a startup, and you're bringing on a salesperson, you may look at the resume. Let's just say, oh, they were an account executive at Apple you know, account executive at Microsoft, account executive at wherever, right? Big brands. So it sounds oppressive. So you want to bring them in, right? Um, however, the issue is, is that they are great at selling a, an established brand. But what happens when I need to sell in a non-established brand? That's two different skill sets. Right. Both salespeople, but two different skill sets. And, and that person struggled. Eventually, they had to let him go. But that was that was again another lesson learned. Like I, I, it, it didn't, it, I didn't think like that at the time. So, but but it's just a lot of little things that 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 like I said, that's what I'm still learning today. A lot of little things uh, that are tied to um, uh, various pieces. Uh, another little learn curve too um, is the FOMO effect that happens in VCs as well. Um, you know, it, it sounds cliche, it sounds whatever happens in the VC game, it happens to the most sophisticated investor as well. Um, and so um, I, I learned that don't invest in deals, co-invest in deals because there's a popular name in that deal. Right. And and it has happened and because I know there's a there's a particular deal that we co-invest and I know I think the the, the the my mentor he invested. I I don't have no facts for this, but I personally believe he invested because there, there were a couple heavy names. I'm not, I'm not gonna mention the names because they are celebrities. And that deal didn't go anywhere. Right. It, it went belly up. And but I felt like and there was another deal too that he he went for um that we went for um and I feel like I think he did it for another motive. And so again that's another lesson like you and, and, and get emotionally you get it because like oh so and so so this person wasn't in any deals but I'm just gonna make up a name. So let's just say it was uh, LeBron, because we mentioned LeBron earlier. Let's just say LeBron James co-invested in this tech startup, right? Naturally, as a human being, oh, LeBron invested? Well, let me go ahead and co-invest with LeBron, you know, because it, right. it sounds logical, logical, you it know does. what I mean? Right. But just because LeBron got in the deal does not make it make, mean it's a good deal. You still right. have to make sure it checks off your box of, of a good deal. Um so those are just some examples of, of lessons learned uh, along the way. And there's more. I could probably think of, if I had given you more time, I could probably think of some more. But it was just some 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 small little lessons learned over, over the period. So you take this experience, and thank you for sharing that. You take this experience, mm -hmm. and now as you're building out uh, funding fuel, 
what are some of the steps that if people are interested in working with you and investing in this kind of new way of thinking, investing in the franchise space, what are some steps that they uh, need to be prepared for uh, before reaching out to you? And once they reach out to you, what are some of the steps that they'll be taking? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, first, uh, you can visit funnyfuel.com. We're creating a wait list right now. So you can visit funnyfuel.com and, and, um, and, and just sign up there. Um, that way you can be, when we, when we do officially launch, um, you can be notified. Um, now, in that, in, 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 in that process um, of, uh, um, uh, of joining the wait list, we do ask the question, like, are you a credit investor or are you not? Because if you are a credit investor, we are going to try to work on maybe doing a deal because part of what we're doing right now is, is that we're building a platform so that way we can get approved by the SEC. And that takes a little bit of time. Um, but if you're a credit investor, um, you can actually, we're actually trying to figure out if we can do a deal right now instead of wait for the SEC. And um, we're going to have a conversation with one of, one of the deals right now to see if he's really ready to go. If he is, we're probably going to try to package something together um, and allow, allow uh, credit investors to co-invest co in that particular deal like to, today um but but that's you know just sign up there and that's how you begin uh, to partner with us um now I, I i am now this is separate from uh funding fuel i am going to okay. put out something to just just with me doing deals in general we were talking about earlier is that um especially for black and brown businesses as you know COVID said i think 40 or something percent of black owned businesses either struggled or closed down as a result of COVID. And some of those problems were internal structures, um, but, but I, I'm really like a big believer in, in helping black businesses scale up. And part of that reason too, going, coming from the acquisition side of things is to help them get a better price tag when it's time for them to exit their company. And, yeah. and, and I've, I've, I think I already showed you before, but I'm partnering with a uh, commercial cleaning company where we're trying to figure out how to, how to scale her business up because uh, it could be just simple as, you know, for a small business like a commercial cleaning company, typically, I'm going to say under $5 million in revenue, you know, the, the sale price typically is around two times their, their EBITDA, or you just say million income. Um, however, if they get to a certain size, let's just say $2 million in revenue, they are now more attractive to a, uh, to a private equity firm uh, to pick up. And so instead of two times, they may they may get bought at maybe seven times that net in, income, which gives them more of a lucrative uh, a, a turnaround. And so, and I think that's one of the lessons, um, you know, just doing deals and because most most of the deals that um, uh, been a part of were were of other uh, other uh, um, ethnic backgrounds. Now the one deal through the fund I have in Delaware, we did it was actually a black uh, black gentleman. Um, here, it's, it, they do last mile shipping in Africa, and they're headquartered here in Delaware. And so, best in that. So, I was really excited to do that deal. But my, my point is, is that I want to be able to help businesses scale. Okay. Um, it does not have to be tech necessarily. I'm actually I probably so so. I'm open to opportunities to part doing joint ventures with folks to help them make scale either through acquisitions or maybe in advisory roles to figure help them. Um, scale their operations. So it can be a small business and they're trying to figure out how to grow. Uh, it can be a tech startup. Um, it can even be a franchise. And if they're especially the black or brown uh, 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 owned companies, 
I want to help them to ensure um, that they, you know, have the best opportunity to set them up better for success. And that could include a lot of different things, um, buying companies, helping them find target markets, you know, uh, or just maybe just uh, my role, just an advisory role. So I do want to at least share that because I'm open up for the, even though that's not related to funding for you, but, but um, I'm open for those opportunities as, as well. So how do anyone who's listening to this as an entrepreneur who's looking to uh, scale their business or scale their mm -hmm. portfolio, how do they reach out to you and make that collaboration happen? Sure, sure. Um, my personal site is just pedromore.com, P-E-B-R-O, uh, more M-O-R-E.com. Um, my, my email, you just, I, I just have a personal email right now, but um, it's more uh, period pedro at gmail.com. And uh, for Fund and Fuel, I mentioned it earlier, it's fundandfuel.com. But e either of those options, um, you can reach out to me and, and I'll love to have a conversation. See how I can help. Thank you so much for that. Any final uh, words of wisdom for people who are just about to get into the acquisition space? They've, they're just hearing about this for the first time. Maybe they've been listening to our episodes and they're just trying to mm -hmm. decide where they want to go. Any words of wisdom as someone enters into the acquisition space? Uh, yes. Um, start with what you know, um, which is sometimes harder for people to think about because they get distracted because I was one of them. You, you get distracted by the shiny object syndrome, meaning that um, let's just say you came from commercial cleaning. Oh, I want to buy a technology software company. That's completely left field, right? Not to say that you can't, but there's a large learning curve and there's going to be some hiccups that it, it, it may be more stressful. So, so start, with, start with something in your lane, meaning that if you're a commercial cleaning company, maybe try to buy other commercial cleaning companies. Or if you, or if you're, you don't have a business, but maybe you, you're employed somewhere, what, what industry is that? What sector is that? And, 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 and start with that. Um, if you're in uh, uh, um, HR or something like that and, it's, it's a, you do HR for, I don't know, a piping company, maybe. I don't know. I'm just making something up. Um, because you're in that, you kind of know a little bit more about that. And the other thing is, too, the other, other part, of, you don't have to be necessarily an expert in the business. You just have to have know enough and know where to get the answers to, uh, to, to questions. So even if you're an HR person that's in, in a, pi a piping company, and you want to buy another type of company, the good part is you probably already have an inner work network of people where to go to get some questions. You probably already have some work, basic working knowledge of it, and you know where to go to get more information. Uh, if, you, if you have that, at least that's what I was saying, at least start with that. Um, or using actually another thought too, or with the HR company, um, you can maybe buy a, a HR consultant firm. You know, some, that, I would still say that, that will be in the same lane as, I like as that. well. I like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, so just basically just stay within, know what your superpower is. I know that's the cliche or more people like use today, but know what your strength is and stay in the lane that you know where you come to because you can move, you can move faster. Um, people will understand you better. Well, even when it comes time to raising capital, either from debt or investors, people will have more confidence because they know you're from that industry or have, have direct skills. If you're HR trying to buy a software company, first question is, well, do you know how to code? You know, do you know how to, or, or do you have experience managing software developers? The answer is going to be no to all of that. 
you know, so it's going to be harder to convince um, outside money that you can get that deal done. Um, but just start, stay, stay within your lane, basically. Hey, Joe, thank you so much for stopping by How to Acquire Podcast. The doors are open for you to come back uh, for another okay. conversation. I am signing up for Funding Fuel right after this episode. And okay, I look forward great, to uh, learning. And I've never been in the franchise space before. So I definitely want to learn from someone who is understanding exactly how this game is being moved. So I look forward to working with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I definitely will appreciate you um, uh, having me on here. I definitely love the mission that you're trying to do to what, to, to basically, you know, uplift our community, start think, having them think differently, you know, um, expose. And that's, you know what, and that's, that's one thing I learned out of all of this is exposure. I yeah. didn't know adventure existed until someone exposed me to it. And now, even now I'm, I'm getting more, become even more exposed to private equity world. Um, I was just on a call because we had a couple of companies still left in the portfolio that we're trying to manage. And there, there's a whole VC fund that does secondaries, meaning that they buy small interest in other countries. So that, that intrigued me because I even worked on a deal where I helped um, take uh, a couple uh, uh, shares from one company and put it into another nonprofit. And, I, and I'm thinking like, man, I, I didn't think really people did that at, at scale, but, look, but here it is. And so it's just, it's just so many opportunities. I think the more and more we expose ourselves to the various facets of, of wealth creation opportunities, the better we'll be. And so my point is just saying that, that, that this is the, one of the vehicles that's helped the people expose them to um, various opportunities. You know, um, That way we can help close this wealth gap. I appreciate you stopping by and you and I will be talking again very soon. Yes, sir. You take care. Thank you.